afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here with you on 970 WDAY. Hope you're having a good Friday afternoon. Nateel, how's it going? It is good. I, I'm so hesitant to complain because it's been so cold. It's like 90 out there right now. It's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful weather. Glad it's here. Maybe a little warmer than I would like, but... Uh, like you said, we're not complaining. We've, we've officially reached the Schwitzing weather. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have uh, North Dakota University System Chancellor Mark Hagerot on the uh, on the program later. Uh, you know, Governor Burgum saying some pretty provocative things lately about higher education, that there's big changes coming, that there's reform needed. Uh, I agree. Honestly, I, I think Chancellor Hagerot agrees. So we're going to have him on the program. We're going to talk with him about that. And certainly you can join as well. Ask your comments, your questions. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, uh, but until then, open phones. Uh, did you see I the, the Kathy Griffin thing? And I've not been saying a lot about it because I don't, I don't care that much. But this... This press conference she held today, Natil, was pretty remarkable. Did you catch any of this? Yeah, I got pretty feisty about it on Midday Live with Mike and Sandy. It, she's a moron, okay? If, if what she really wanted was to help herself, she would have hired a PR professional, not a lawyer. And the things that she said made absolutely no sense and just hurt her more. Like, I was, I was, like you, I was doing a very good job of not talking about it too much. Because I really didn't care. Because who cares? Because she's right? she's stupid. She's terrible. She apologized. Okay, whatever. Let's drop it and never talk about it again. Because I don't want to give her more publicity about it. Because she's dumb. She's a, she's an entertainer. Not one that I've ever particularly enjoyed. Not even so much because of her politics. I just, I don't know. She's just not somebody who I've made a point of. I don't follow her work because I don't particularly enjoy it. That's just, that's just what it is. I, I looked at the Trump thing. It was a stunt. It was tied to her politics. It was way, way, way over the line. She apologized for it. I was ready to move on with my life. Um, you know, whatever. You know, she did a stunt. She went over the line. She regrets it. We're over it. But now this this press conference, it was sort of a, and it's almost sort of a mix of like this like defiant, like, well, I'm just going to keep doing it all to, oh, poor me, poor me, I'm a victim. And I, I'm thinking like you can't have it both ways. Right. Like you can't put something like the picture of you holding, you know, a, a, a blood covered replica of the president's head. You can't put that out into the world and then play the victim when people are upset with you about it. You don't get to do that. And I'm surprised she apparently doesn't understand that. And maybe this sounds horrible. A lot of people were saying this when she first did it. And I thought it was unfair when they were saying it then. But I'm looking at this now. I think she needs she needs some help. I, I think she needs to go somewhere and uh, do something and get some help and, and, and get back on the right track because something's going on with her, something deeper. I don't know. I, I, I watched that. That press conference was bizarre. I don't know how you felt yeah, about it. She, she, was, she was absolutely off her rocker. You can't – she blamed Ivanka for letting Barron watch the news. Yeah. You know what? I mean, listen, he, he's he's a, he's a he's a child. He's a child. And it's it's tough already for the kids of celebrities and politicians or whatever. Like they didn't ask for the career. They didn't ask to get elected to public office. They didn't ask for the fame. 
Um, and so it's tough for them because they sometimes got to put up with their parents saying mean things, you know, people saying mean things about their parents. And being the being the kid of the president of the United States is a tough job to begin with. And when he sees that, you know, I mean, we should feel compassion about that. It's awful. He shouldn't have seen it. She should have stuck to the apology. Uh, we got a caller, Karen. If you want to join in, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Go ahead, Karen. What's up? Yes. When I was in grade school, President Kennedy was shot in the head and killed on camera. The nation was traumatized for uh, at least a year, and I don't think that the head of a president being held by some stupid girl is funny. It's no, it's not. I mean, it was gross, and that was—I mean—that was the almost universal reaction. I mean, it, it seemed like everybody just saw it and was like, "Wow, that's." That's in, in poor taste, to put it mildly. So, um, you know, I, I guess I just don't know. I don't know what she was thinking. And, I, I again, I, I was willing to give her, Karen, thanks for the call. And too, I was willing to give her sort of, I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt. I mean, her, her and I are never going to see eye to eye on politics, and that is what it is. And her job, she was an entertainer. Her job is to be provocative. And so to me, I was just, well, okay, well, let's just move on. She did something. She crossed a line. She knows she crossed a line. She's moving on. But now it's like she's kind of doubling down. So I, just just a bad move. And this attorney she hired, that can't be helping. I mean, her attorney thought that this press conference today was a good idea. Well, and that's This exact- is helping your client? That's exactly it. Because if what, if what she really wanted was help, then she should have hired a PR professional because a PR professional would have said, Kathy, keep your head down for three months. And when you come back, come back with some sort of big charity work. And then maybe people will start, you know, moving forward and your career won't be in the tubes for the rest of your life. But instead, she hires a lawyer and comes out with this press conference that is an absolute disaster. Like yeah. if she if she had any supporters left, she certainly doesn't have them now. Yeah. You know, she tried. She tried to like pull the, uh, you know, well, I'm just going to make fun of him more, like kind of defiant thing, and, and that's what you do if the president is like, you know, like you know, Trump gets all thin skinned about like Saturday Night Live or whatever, right? Yeah. Then Saturday Night Live keeps poking him because, right. because in that instance, it's, because it's that's a little their bit, job. Yeah, and that's, that's their that's job. A little, that's a little bit funny because they're they're comedians. They're making fun of the president, but they're not making fun of the president in a way that can be perceived as a threat to his life. Right. I mean, I mean, what Saturday, I mean, agree, agree with the politics of Saturday Night Live or whatever. You know, they're trying to be entertaining. They're trying to do satire. That's all inbounds, you know. And, and frankly, Trump would, do, would handle it better if he just, you know, laughed it, it off. Laughed it off. Have, you know, have a laugh at yourself, right? I mean, it's, uh, that works better, but I, I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling, and, and just... As a human being, I'm worried about I'm worried about Kathy Griffin. I, I I hope she gets some help because I think she needs it. And I I'm not saying that to be sanctimonious. I'm not saying that to be sarcastic. Just as a human being, I think there's something wrong there. And I hope I hope she gets some help. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. We'll be back right after this. And we're gonna talk about this meltdown over the Paris Agreement thing. That's coming up next. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. All right. Trump Trump pulls out of the, the, the Paris Agreement. Um, it was supposed to be a treaty, but treaties have to be ratified by the United by two-thirds vote of the United States Senate. Uh, this never was, so the Obama administration said it was an agreement, not a treaty, therefore sort of getting around that requirement, I guess. Um, I have noticed, and, and, and by the way, this was a voluntary, non-binding agreement, which is to say that, you know, there was no guarantees that everybody was going to follow through on this agreement in the first place. So some of the overblown stuff about the impact that this was going to have on on the climate or whatever, I think it's a lot of hot air. And, and I also think it's interesting, though, because there's these competing narratives, right? And I, I don't know if you've I don't know if you've noticed this, right? Because Trump came out and made a lot of claims about how burdensome this agreement was going to be to industry and business in the United States, right? Job killing regulations and all the sort of stuff that you usually hear from Republicans, right, about regulations. And I, I largely believe the arguments for the most part. But that was the argument. That was a big part of the argument Trump made. This is going to be bad for industry. It's going to be bad for our economy. It's going to kill jobs. It's going to kill innovation. There go, you know, therefore, we pull out of the agreement. Um, that was his argument. And what's interesting to me is that the response to that is to say that Trump's Trump's blowing a lot of hot air, right? That that's not true. It's not that bad. You know, there's not. It's it's it, it, it it's funny because you're you're sort of left with a dichotomy then. Because on one hand you have Trump saying it's going to kill jobs, it's going to be terrible, and on the other hand you have the supporters of the agreement saying no, that's not true. It's not going to kill jobs. It's actually not going to. And it's like I I think what we're illustrating here is that both sides are kind of blowing hot air. If Trump's full of it. If Trump's overboard, if Trump's exaggerating the impacts of the agreement, then the other side is also exaggerating the benefits of staying in the agreement, right? Because both extremes can't be true, right? These two, these are these are two mutually exclusive positions. I I just thought that was kind of funny. Like like you can't you can't have it both ways. Listen, I, the Paris Agreement was never going to change much anyway. Even even if even if uh, the United States of America had stayed in it, and even if every single country had adhered strictly to the guidelines of this voluntary agreement, which, frankly, given the history of binding international agreements and the ability of the countries that bind themselves to those agreements to stick with it, that seemed unlikely that all these countries were going to stick to this this voluntary agreement. I don't I think that was a pipe dream. I don't think that was ever actually going to happen. But even if it did, it doesn't change much. It never really would have changed much. And I I, I think I think really what's what's driving the anger, what's driving the meltdown other than just the you know the the, the sort of, you know, the resistance, the sort of knee-jerk hatred of Trump, which that's, you know, obviously a portion of it. What's driving it a lot is is Trump isn't, if you look at the reaction, he's not being treated so much as a policymaker who made a policy decision that is controversial and that a lot of people disagree with. He is being treated like an apostate. He is being treated like a heretic. 
Because his sin was not so much a policy sin. His sin was dissenting from one of the most popular global religions, which is environmentalism. That was his big sin. That's what he did. That's what everybody on the left is melting down about. Because environmentalism isn't just a set of policy preferences anymore. That ship sailed a long time ago. I would love it. If we can have a debate about actual environmental policy for a change. But no, instead we're constantly having these faith-based arguments about climate change. And if you don't buy into the politics that people have wrapped a lab coat around and called science, if you don't buy into that ideological thinking, then you're a heretic. You're an apostate. You're a denier. You're a climate change denier. That's where we're at on the environmental debate right now. And what Trump did is he he dissented. He he in 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 the biggest way possible, right? President of the United States pulls the United States out of this big time international agreement that all the globalists were out there patting themselves on the back about. He did it in the biggest way possible. He pulled out. They're all mad. And really, it's not even about policy. It's not even really about policy. The policy was never actually going to have that big of an impact. It's just about the faith. It's, it's just about the belief system that he has undermined. And, and I think that's really what he's angry about. Because the truth is, the truth is, climate change, global warming, that, that sort of stuff is not really that high on the list of, of concerns of American voters. It's not. I thought Trump's line about how he was elected to represent Pittsburgh and not Paris was brilliant. Even though Pittsburgh voted for Hillary Clinton, even though the mayor of Pittsburgh is out there saying now that they're going to adhere to the, climate, uh, the, the, uh, the Paris Treaty anyway, it was a brilliant, brilliant line for President Trump. Caller, Bob, you're up. Well, I just think you're you're right on. You're, I've never heard you rant so well in your life. This is really good stuff that you're saying. And uh, Thanks. all this does is drive me further and further and further away. The violence in the streets, this this petty uh, attitude and disposition that all of America is witnessing in the media, in the, on the left, and it's just so sickening that. People are just so fed up and see it for what it is. And just keep going, Rob. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. I, you know, I, I try not. Was I ranting there, Natil? Did that sound like a rant? I try not to rant usually. I mean, I try to, I, I, I try to, you know, obviously I have an opinion and I'm, I guess I'm sort of, I guess I was sort of emptying the missile silos there. But I. A little bit, a little bit. There, there, were, there were some soapboxes. All right. Well, fair enough. But that's, I, that's fine. That's what that's what you're here for. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to illuminate the the position by you know giving my my perspective on this, and I think it's, you know, I mean the the, the environmental movement. I I think in a lot of ways, again, I I wish it was a debate about policy. Like how do we how do we develop our resources in a practical way that's safe that safeguards the environment that safeguards wildlife, but also serves our you know pragmatic economic purposes and I, I i feel like we're not we're not having that debate anymore one side has bought in to this very faith-based set of beliefs and it's it's you know th their case against oil for instance is ideological it's not it's not pragmatic it's that's that's the problem I, i'm having that's 
what I'm objecting to, and I, I, I think it's, I think it's global. I think it's, I think it's nationwide. It's, it's national. It's global. It's, it's a big problem. And I, I, I don't know. Congressman Kevin Kramer here in North Dakota wrote an op-ed to the Wall Street Journal in which he argued for staying in the Paris Agreement. I thought he made a lot of good points. I probably could have gone along with Trump saying we're going to stay in the agreement, but we're going to push for some changes. But honestly, him pulling out, if it undermines the cult of green globally, boy, sign me up for that. All right, more to come straight ahead. Chancellor Mark Hagerot for the North Dakota University System is going to be on. Call in with your comments or questions, 701-293-9000, We'll be right back. Don't go away. Good afternoon. Welcome back. 970 WDAY 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Joining me now is the Chancellor of the North Dakota University System, Mark Hagerot. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks for the time. Morning, Rob. Or good afternoon, Rob. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's afternoon here in the Central Time Zone, Chancellor. Okay. <laughs> we uh, <laughs> ribbing you a little bit. Um, I wanted to talk with you. I wanted to have you on um, and, and talk with you a little bit about the future of higher education in North Dakota. And, and specifically, I, I, I think a lot of people see change coming. Um, and I was just reading some articles nationally about universities, you know, sort of struggling, tuition starting to come down for the first time. A lot of people for a long time have been arguing that there's a bubble in higher education. Our own governor. Uh, has been saying some some provocative things. Uh, he said in a profile with the Grand Forks Herald a few weeks ago, uh, I quote, what's driving uh, that the root cause uh, is, is not North Dakota's financial situation. Uh, he said, um, he said basically, uh, you know, there's there's changes in, in communications technology, our ability to transfer, transmit information, uh, and gain education outside the bounds of campus lecture halls is, is changing things. Uh, he, he continued, I quote, knowledge transfer can occur anytime, any place, any location. We have to understand that is going to cannibalize some of what universities have done in the past. So, so there's that feeling out there. And I, I just I wanted to get first of all, do you agree with that? Do you agree with that outlook? Well, I, the uh, the governor is a you know one of actually one of the most successful technologists in the country. I think he's probably the most technical credentials of uh, practically any governor in the in the country. And uh, and I we are we are actually close partners with uh, the governor's office, uh, Commerce and Jay Schuler on workforce adapting the workforce. So uh, so I can just tell you we're working very closely on several things. We can get into that. Um, but, you know, higher education, this is something that some of your fellow journalists have talked about. You know, newspapers went into systemic collapse. People stopped reading newspapers. But we are hitting, you know, record enrollments, uh, both in several of our colleges here and in the United States. And we have a wave of foreign students and Minnesota students wanting to come here. So, so yes, in general, uh, I am aligned with the governor on we have to adapt. We've got to reduce costs. We've got to respond to the workforce technology, the effects of, of, of uh, globalization. Um, but I'm also acknowledging that we are in demand. A lot of people want to come here. And, uh, and the other thing is, you know, I was just up at Grand Forks uh, listening to some uh, North Dakota prodigies in computer science, and there was a young man, I think his name was Evan Welsh, um, who is, is uh, one of the top computer science high school kids in the entire country, and he said, you know what, 
I still like human contact, you know, because he's a kid who could teach himself anything in a basement, and he's still like to be able to look at a professor and look at a problem together and enjoy that human camaraderie. So if a computer scientist who is, is among the top, I think he had the top MIT distance course for high school kids, still likes to interact with a computer science teacher in Grand Forks, you know, we just got to think, you know, what what is the same as manufacturing? What is the same as IT firms? But what's different in education? And the governor and I are well, very well aligned on lots of things. But we may disagree on other things. Uh, and uh, so, but I can tell you in workforce, we, uh, I was just at his summit last week, and he gave a brilliant presentation on we've, we owe it to our kids and adult learners to adapt to the future. So, um, so, so do, 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 do you agree? I mean, th- things are, I mean, maybe, maybe you don't uh, you know, agree on the scope of the change or whatever. But do you, do you, I mean, do you feel like a change is coming for, for, for the way higher education is obtained and delivered in the United States? Oh, well, that's why I'm glad to talk to you. Um, uh, let, me, let me, for the listeners, uh, you know, here's a simple way to think about it. Higher education is now adapting uh, at four different um, vectors, if you want to put it this. Um, first and foremost, uh, recently, with the decline in commodity prices, we are adjusting to the biggest drop, you know, in the general fund in decades. So we have to respond to changing fiscal pressures. Uh, Middle-class incomes, working-class incomes, uh, families, their incomes have been steady or stagnant since 1979. So we've got to both for state funding purposes and our students, we have got to control and reduce costs. Uh, But also we have to respond to how the students themselves are changing, right? I mean, how they learn, where they learn. And this is our experiments in distance education as well as in classroom techniques. Um, But also we have to respond to businesses. Um, The reality is, uh, I believe the number I heard, 99% of the jobs created after the recession of 09 and 10 came from some college-level educated certificates or uh, education. Uh, Those are the type of students. So how is the workforce changing? What do they need? But then lastly, uh, new knowledge, new technology. Our universities have to create this stuff. We've got to be able to transmit it, like the governor says. And that also includes the liberal arts, right? There's a battle, and we can get into that, about you know, the battle in humanities, social sciences in this country for what is, what is truth. So that's the task in four areas of adaptation, not just money, but also the workforce, the students themselves, and the knowledge. And, you know, love to talk more about um, that in our discussion today. Well, let's let's talk some of that. I mean, what, what what are some of the things that the university system is doing, or perhaps in in, in the short term is going to be doing uh, to address these changes? Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's start with new knowledge and technology because you know the North Dakota people should be proud of the system they have built. Uh, you know, the North Dakota culture aligns very well with having a strong university. Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY, 712 9393 Email talk at The, uh, I, I, I am a firm believer that change is coming for higher education. I think there's a bubble. I, I think we went through a period of time where we, we turned attendance, if not graduation, but certainly attendance, at an institution of higher education into a sort of entitlement, right? If you want a, if you want a student loan, you're going to get a student loan. And you will find an institution willing to take your money uh, to have you attend class. You know, we it's – and I'm not sure that that's been a good thing for, for the overall education. I, I think it's led to a, an attitude of 
quantity over quality in higher education. We're more concerned about how many kids are going to the universe, to the universities, to the colleges, to the schools, not how many are, are coming out uh, having been served well by their time there, which which I understand is a much more complicated question, and a lot of it's mixed up in the personal choices of the students themselves who have to be responsible for those choices. But I'm not necessarily convinced that the institutions themselves are always prioritizing serving students above everything else, um, because that is their number one job. It's not drones as much as I think the UAV stuff is great, great for our straight state, great for that for that industry. Uh, as much as I think you know, sports are fun. Uh, as much as I think, you know, these these public, private, economic development things, a lot of times they get spun off on campus, I guess those are okay too. But they should all be taking a back seat to serving students. That is the number one mission. There is no other reason for which these institutions were created, right? There's a research function, certainly, but that research function is intended to develop knowledge that can then be imparted onto those students who can then take that knowledge out into the world and deploy it, right? So that's the role of the universities is to develop knowledge and serve the students with that knowledge. That should be it. And, you know, I I think we've got to get back to basics. And I think there is a correction coming for higher education. I was just reading a column in the New York Post this morning about how uh, tuition rate, average tuition rates are starting to drop for the first time in a long time, and they have been skyrocketing for a long time. I mean, you look at the cost of college, of a college education compared to, you know, credit cards, the cost of mortgages, the cost of cars, the cost of everything else, it has grown at a rate several orders of magnitude larger than everything else. And now for the first time, it's starting to plateau. It's starting to come down a little bit. And I think that's the beginning of a correction. I think Governor Burgum is right. I think he's put his finger on something that knowledge transfer is changing. I, I, I think increasingly, increasingly, although we just heard the chancellor talk about, um, you know, uh, you know, people, a lot of the jobs being created needing certification. I, I wonder how much longer that's going to be true. I wonder, I wonder in the future, given all the tools and everything we have available, if, if, if employers aren't going to be more, more concerned about what you can do, you know, and, and, and the certification meaning maybe maybe a little bit less. I'm not, I'm not going to say we're going to reach a point where college degrees aren't important. I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think that should happen. Education is important, and degrees are a certification that you got an education, but I think in a modern economy, you know, especially when things are moving so fast, people aren't preparing for careers anymore that are going to last their entire lives. People job, jump from job to job. They jump from industry to industry. There's a lot of cross-pollination going. Things are moving very, very fast. And higher education, I'm not sure, is moving fast enough. I think they're adapting fast enough. And I'm not sure that they even have the right priorities in what change is happening. But anyway, I think we're going to continue these conversations with people from the North Dakota University system going forward. I'm obviously a big critic of higher education in North Dakota, um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think that's going to be a lot of fun, so stay tuned for that. That's it for me this week. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Stay tuned for that. You can always catch me 1 to 2 p.m. right here on 970 WDAY or seven days a week, 24 hours a day at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. I want to be free.